Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Well, if that won't set your heart on fire, your wood's wet. Amen? And uh, we give God high praise uh, for who he is and for what he has done. And I'm thankful too, aren't you, that on the journey of faith, and listen to when I say this to you, listen to closely. I'm so thankful for the journey of faith that every believer has the potential to help grow us and to teach us things. Uh, You understand that? We as the family of God, we gather, and part of the purpose of gathering is to learn from each other, not just in a classroom setting, you understand, not just in a Sunday school class or from the pulpit, but when you watch somebody get out of their truck and when they can't hardly even walk, but they're going going to gather because God said gather, we learn from that, don't we? And we learn from each other. So thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to be here. It's been easy this week to say, whew, we had a busy weekend, and it'd be easy to stay home this Wednesday night, and you chose to come out and gather. And I'm looking around here. There's people of all ages, all shapes and sizes, and I'm so glad to be a part of this family, the family of God. Now let's dive into Psalm number 16, okay? Now we're going to continue on the theme that we looked at Sunday, and I'm going to maybe kind of ask if you remember what was the theme of Sunday. We talked about Jesus is something, Somebody was like, let's see that. Living hope, right? He's our living hope. We have a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has begotten us again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, resurrection from the dead. And so 1 Peter, we saw that we don't have a a dead hope. We don't hope in things that, that we just don't know the outcome. But we place our hope in the resurrected Jesus and because of that, man, we have everything we need. So tonight, that's what we're going to prove from Psalm number 16, okay? I already gave you the main idea. You, you didn't hear it, but I gave it to you. And I'm going to give it to you again in a minute, all right? So Psalm number 16. Anybody glad to be here tonight? Okay. Let's stand to our feet in honor of reading God's Word. And listen, I hope you understand what you're holding in your hand is the very breath of God. In the Greek, it's called the theonoustos. And what you have in your hand is the very breath of God. And you think about the breath of God when God said, let there be, and galaxies were formed. And when God formed Adam out of that dust, when he breathed, the Scripture says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, made him a living being. I'm talking about powerful, the breath of God, and you hold it in your hand. And that's why we're standing and not sitting. And so if you can't stand physically, stand on the inside. And we're going to dive in together, all right, reading here in Psalm number 16. I'm going to read the whole entirety of it, but we're only going to deal with some of it. that all right? Here we go. Psalm 16, the Psalm of David, beginning in verse number 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you, help me somebody. There we go. Boy, a little strong reading on Wednesday night. In you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor will I even take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. 
My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Oh, there it is. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for how long? Forevermore. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me for a moment? God, I just want to say thank you for the privilege of being able to preach this word tonight. God, I know that I don't have tomorrow, and I know that yesterday is over, but I have right now. And I pray that I would live this moment, enjoy this moment like it would be my last moment. And, Father, I'd preach as a dying man to dying people because that's what we are. And so tonight, in Jesus' name, help me to preach this with clarity and boldness by the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that preaching is not something to be learned in a classroom, but is to be gifted and empowered by your Spirit. And so tonight, I pray once again, would you, would you anoint me afresh and use the gift you've given me to strengthen and encourage your church, myself included. So, Father, would you preach through me, but also preach to me. I need to hear what you want to say to me today. And, Lord, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice that, God, we would all be set down at the table and like a little child looking up to our daddy, listening for what you would say to us because you're good. You've already proven that you're good. And so we want to be in this place of humility, finding ourselves under the authority of your word preached and that we might leave here transformed. And we ask it in the wonderful and mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the people of God said, amen, amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. And as you're being seated, I want to just share with you a little bit about this particular psalm, Psalm number 16. I've shared this thing a couple of times this week. It's been interesting how God's just sort of settled it in my heart. I shared it with, uh, I told you that I did a, a dear spiritual mentor of mine named Charles Renfro passed away, and I was doing his funeral this last week. And, and the night that he passed, when they were taking his body, his temporary tent out of the house, uh, me and Miss Charlene got over in the corner, and I said, now come over here, and let's just talk for a second about Psalm number 16. I said, Charles and I talked about this psalm one time when he's in the hospital, and I talked about Psalm 16 and some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. And so I, we were encouraged in that moment as they were taking his tent out, knowing that his soul was already with the king, and we were encouraged by Psalm 16. And then she said, she said to me at the funeral, she said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what is it, Miss Charlene? She said, would you believe when I got to church Sunday, the resurrection Sunday message was a Psalm 16? And I said, look at God. And Tuesday morning, I encouraged our men with it. And what I'd like to do tonight, what I feel inspired of the Holy Ghost to do, is to preach this message and pray that it would inspire and encourage you and call me and you up, all right, to this wonderful hope that we have, a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So without further ado, let's go back. And where I want to pick up is beginning in about verse number 5, all right? Because in verses 1 and 2, he declares that his, his, his request of God is that God would preserve him that God would maintain him, that God would keep him. Why? Because life is long. You said, no, it's not. Well, some days it seems that way, doesn't it? Now, we know that life really is a vapor, and it goes by very quickly, but there are days in our lives when we're facing things at work and with children and with bills and with doctors and with all the stuff. Sometimes, if we're honest, life seems very, very long, doesn't it? There are some days that seem very, very long. Matter of fact, in certain circumstances and situations, certain hours look long, don't they? Seems like that hour will never end. And so the psalmist is saying to God, David's saying to God, God, I need you to preserve me. Hold me up. I need you to be the one who holds me up. He said, because I put my trust in you, I'm trusting that you are going to hold me up, that you're going to maintain me. And then, and then after this, he says, I'm not going to go after these other gods. He says that the people of God are your cherished. I cherish them and you cherish them. And he said, I'm not going to be in about verse number, let's see, uh, four. He says, uh, uh, the ones who 
chase after foreign gods, their, their sorrows are going to multiply. They're not going to get better. They're going to get worse. The loneliness is not going to get better when they're chasing after things apart from God. They're going to get worse. And what he says is, I'm not going to talk about the things they do. I'm not going to, the things that they sacrifice, I'm not going to participate in because I know that anything other than putting my hope in you is empty and it's futile and it leads to destruction. And so then he picks up in verse number five and he just begins to declare to God all the benefits of hoping in the Lord. So, uh, tonight, I want you to know the main idea of our passage is simply this. Those who hope in God have all they need. Those who hope in God have all they need. I wish you and I, that's such a simple truth, isn't it? It's such a simple elementary principle, but dear goodness, wouldn't you agree with me that my flesh and yours rages against that truth? The flesh within me always says, I need something else. I need something newer. I need something better. I need something different. I need some, and I'm constantly looking and searching, and, and there's this desire deep down in there for something more when, when the truth of the matter is there is nothing more than our great God. And when we hope in him, we have everything that we need. So tonight, two things. Can you believe there's just two sections to our message tonight? Now, there are going to be some numbers in there, all right? So tonight we're going to incorporate Roman numerals and then others, all right? So here we go. Roman numeral one, if you will. Write this in your notes. We're just going to make this statement kind of twice. And you've got an outline there. It's just going to help you. Write this in your, bl- in your blank there. Hope in God leads to contentment. Hope in God leads to contentment. Uh, let me ask you something. Do you ever find yourself wanting? Wanting a drink of water? Wanting something to eat? Wanting to get an umbrella. Yeah, you, you follow, you find, sometimes we find ourselves in situations, don't we, where we want things. And would you agree with, with what I have shared with you before? That is that want is very powerful and very painful. Now, listen what I'm, what I'm saying. Uh, want, when you want something, it is always the want that drives me and you to fall to temptation and sin. Did you know that? Why would you do what you did? Because I wanted to. Now, we might mask it up and dress it up, and, you know, and put lipstick on it. Well, they say if you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig, right? And so you and I would say, well, the devil made me do it. The truth of the matter is the devil just enticed us. It was a, it was a temptation that was already common to me, and he was already in there, right? And so the want to within us, the devil played against that want to. How does he know what our want to's are? He watches the things that we linger with. He watches the things that we do in our life, and we tip him off, right? We show our hand, and so he tempts us from the inside, and want to is a very powerful thing. But listen. It's also a very painful thing. You ever told your flesh no? Y'all looking at me like, that's not painful. I need to come hang out with you because there's something different about you than there is about me because I'm telling you, when I tell my flesh no, it hurts. My flesh is a very formidable foe. Anybody else would, would declare that tonight? He's formidable. I'm telling you, he's, a, he's strong. When I, when I, if I'm not careful, if I don't spend time dying at the feet of Jesus, he, 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 I'm telling you, he's just got a loud voice. And he's very, con- listen, that voice of my flesh is very convincing. Talk me into doing things based on what? The pain of want to. The pain of want to is the opposite of contentment. Contentment means the absence of want. Think about that for a minute. When I am content, it means that I don't want anything. And those times in our life, would you agree with me that when they come, they're very special? You're not thinking a 1,000 miles an hour as to how you can make more money and work more and save more and do more. But when you're just content, and I'm just going to tell you something, those moments, if you, let's just see if we can be honest. Would you agree with me that those moments can be very rare? Uh, contentment is something that often evades us. And so tonight, the hope in the Lord is where we're at contentment is to be found. So let's talk about it a little bit in verses 5 through 7, okay, verses 5 through 7. So hope in God leads to 
contentment. Because, now why would I be content when I put my hope in the Lord, all right? So here we go. Number one, verse number five, uh, because he sustains. Would you write that word down? He sustains. You see, contentment can come in fleeting pieces. As a matter of fact, uh, the world itself offers contentment. The problem is it's in fleeting pieces. In other words, you get a little nibble. The world gives you a little nibble, and the problem is you take a little nibble, and you're content for about that long, and you have to have another little nibble, right? And you have the second little nibble, and it lasts about that long, and you got to have another little. Is anybody tracking with me tonight? And you have to have more, and you have to have more, and the next thing you know, you're addicted. And the next thing you know, you've drawn away from God. And the next thing you know, you look up, and you have what I call those head-in-your-hands moments. When you say to yourself, self, how in the world did I get where I'm at right now? And little moments of fleeting pleasure that build one upon the other, and we believe in our flesh that we can manage sin, but what happens is sin manages us. So what he says, the psalmist says, listen to what he says here. Don't you know David knew about that? Anybody know that David knew about that? Yeah, David knew, all, David knew all too well about that. Verse number five, oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my life. Verse number five, he talks about two specific things. First, he says, you are my portion in my, of my inheritance. Now, a lot of times we talk Sunday about our inheritance is incorruptible and undefiled, and we said that our inheritance doesn't have to be painted, thanks be to God, and our inheritance doesn't have to be paved. If you've ever laid asphalt, you'll shout hallelujah uh, that you don't, we're not going to have to pave anything in heaven, right? And we talk about those things, but here's the deal about our inheritance. The greatest part of our inheritance is not that we're going to see our grandmother. The greatest part of our inheritance is not that we're going to be reunited with our children, those that maybe have passed away or our parents. That's not the greatest part of heaven. Oh, no, the greatest part of our inheritance is not that we're going to be never sick again. I mean, those are all great benefits. They are. But the greatest part of our inheritance is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, where I am, there you shall be also. That is the crowning desire of heaven. Now, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I've rubbed shoulders. I've had conversation. I've met believers all throughout the world who would be content if, as long as I got to heaven, I didn't have any more sickness, as long as I got to heaven and I had no more illness, no more pain, no more suffering, and as long as when I got to heaven, I could catch really big bass on topwater baits for the rest of eternity, it really wouldn't matter if Jesus was there or not. And so tonight, we need to really evaluate, would you be okay with heaven if it was your best day, the things that you love here the most, the most fun you have here on earth? Would you be all right if heaven had your best day, the thing that you enjoy doing the most, if Jesus wasn't there? And be careful about how do you have the Sunday school answer on that, you know, because we'll immediately say, yes. But I want you just to wrestle through that tonight as you continue on the journey of the message, all right? So here's what he says. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance. You, you're, the, you're not just the side dish. You're not the mashed potatoes. You're the roast, amen? Anybody tracking with me on that? I just lost half of y'all because you said, I didn't eat before I came, and pastor, I don't know what you're talking about now, but I really won't rub craving roast. When you think about portion, the word portion relates itself to what? A meal. And my whole life, I've struggled with portion. I know none of y'all do that. I hear Mr. Ray Ball laugh. He laugh. I'll take that laugh as a yes, brother, my brother, and we're glad you're with us tonight. Hey, how many of you besides me have struggled with portion in your life? Portion size, portion control, portion, portion, portion. And so portion. Here's what my flesh does. It doesn't matter how big the portion is, I always want. Wow, so you know me. But what David is saying, because you're the crowning achievement, because you sustain, you're enough. You're enough because you are the main dish, because you're not a side dish on life. 
And maybe it is that, that the reason with which your contentment is not where it ought to be is that he is a side dish. He fits in somewhere maybe on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. But really the rest of the journey, he's not the main course. He's not the portion uh, that you're allowing to be what sustains you in every season. And so tonight, we just a good thing for us to continue or to, to discuss is this, because he sustains. But the second part of verse number five, and this will be number two in your list, is that not only does he sustain, he also upholds. Listen to what he says in verse five. Oh, Lord, you are my portion, uh, the portion of my inheritance, the portion, not a portion, but the portion. The word gives itself to the satisfying portion, the portion that fills my longing, the portion that makes me not hungry or thirsty anymore. It's just the right amount of eating and just the right amount of drinking. He's saying to him, God, you are what sustains me. You see that? And then the end of that verse, he says, you also are the one who maintains, or that word means to uphold my lot. Now, the word phrase there, my lot, is a reference to somebody's property, okay? And you and I would agree, we talked about this a little bit Tuesday morning, that properties require maintenance. Do you agree with that statement? Somebody say amen. And what I've learned is, is that uh, as you get older, uh, you may have to downsize. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And because property requires maintenance. You've got to uphold it. You've got to trim things. You have to spray Roundup. A sensitive subject to some people. They say, y'all not Roundup, y'all to weed eat, right? And we have to maintain. We have to sweep. We have to blow off. We have to cut grass. We have to rake. We have to do all kinds of things to maintain our lot. Now, let me ask you, what happens when a lot is not maintained? Real quickly, the natural habitat will overtake it. It's surprising to me how quickly one acre can change to wild habitat if unmaintained. And so I want you to think about your life, and if God was not maintaining it, if God wasn't upholding it, if you drift away from him, and you've done it, and I've done it, and what it looks like when we don't allow God to maintain or uphold our lot, and how discontent we become, and how miserable our lives are, and how we begin to be thirsty again, how we begin to be hungry again, because we've chosen other things to try to sustain us, right? But he says, God, that you, when, I'm, when you're the apple of my eye, when you're the portion of my inheritance, God, you, you uphold my lot. And can I just say to you, isn't it interesting that even when we wander... He still upholds our lot. Now, what that ought to do tonight is not cause us to say, well, thanks be to God, I'm going to wander next week because I'm going to trust God's going to maintain my lot. What you fail to realize is that sometimes maintaining our lot means consequences. Sometimes maintaining our lot means sickness and destruction and things that God allows because of our decisions that lead us to a place away from Him. And He'll allow the consequences of our own actions to, listen, if we're walking with Him, He'll allow them to break our hearts, humble us, and bring us back to Him. Because He's a loving Father and He deals with us as children. So He sustains, but He also upholds. Aren't you glad that God upholds me and you? He holds us up, maintains our life. I'm so thankful that I don't. Somebody asked me one time, What do you, you think you'll ever wander away from God? I said, Oh, oh, the chances are pretty likely, you know. And they said, Well, what? I mean, how do you feel about that? I said, Well, I just trust that He's going to bring me back if I do. Because my relationship is not sustained by my strength, my relationship with Him is sustained by His strength. Now, if I've grown in any area of wisdom, I really, really, now listen, this, I'm not sitting lip service. I choose to respond to his gracious word, hopefully, instead of having to respond to his rod of correction. Somebody amen right there. I got enough knots on my head and enough struggle from consequences of my past sinful nature that I desire now to have the kind of humility that says, Lord, if you say it, I'm just going to do it. I don't understand it, but would you give me the power to do it? Would you give me the strength to do it? And that happens when we start our day in the presence of the Lord and His Word. You keep talking about that, preacher. Yes, I do. Because if you try to take all this, take great notes, and then go try to do it, you're going to fail, fall flat on your face. Because that's not Him maintaining your lot. That's you trying to maintain your lot. 
and it'll get out of hand, all right? So he sustains, he upholds. Number three, and this is going to be found in verse number six, he also makes all of life good. He makes all of life good. Notice, if you will, the all, A-L-L. I want you to write that in all capital letters in your blank. Somebody said, oh, no, I've already read it. Write it again over the top of it in all capital letters, if you will. He makes all of life good. Now, let's talk for a minute about that in verse number 6. So, David said that he is the portion of his inheritance. He maintains or upholds his lot. And then he says in verse number 6, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have. Listen to what he says here. A good inheritance. I have a good inheritance. Now, sometimes we look at life and we say, God, where are you? And we say, this is so difficult. And why can't I find the right man? And why can't I find the right lady? And why can't I, why did my business flourish? And why and why? And our lives get so mixed up and confused. And we miss out on the beauty of walking in the wonderful promise that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm going to tell you what, that's one of the hardest promises of God to trust, isn't it? Because our eyes tell us things and our ears tell us things, and sometimes it's what we see somebody doing or what we hear the doctor saying or whatever the circumstance, what we see and what we hear causes us to doubt God, and we find ourselves in the midst of painful circumstance. And here's the question. The question is, God, don't you even care? And I want to just remind you that the disciples ask him the same question. When the waves were crashing and Jesus was asleep on a pillow <laughs> in the boat, and they're wondering if they're going to drown. And by the way, I, that's, it's a terrifying experience when the waves get big and the boat starts to break. And they're wondering if they're going to live. And they wake him up and say, Master, don't you even care? Don't you even care? And sometimes the circumstances of our life cause us to doubt the promises of God. And yet what you and I ought to do and when things get difficult is anchor our ship to the promises of God. Everything else changes. Everything else is temporary. Everything else goes up and down, up and down. But the promises of God remain forever. And if he says all things work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose, we can, in fact, bank on it. Now, how many of you have been in circumstances where you were looking around and you said, I'll never make it out of this? This is, how about this one? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You ever had that? And you look around at the circumstances and what people are saying and what's going on with your eyes see, and one of you is gone. Maybe, maybe the, the, the marriage is hanging on by a thread. I don't know. You've been through something so painful, so devastating. You thought deep down inside you'd never make it over, and yet here you are. And if you are honest and if you're able to look back over, you can tell that in the midst of all of that was the presence of the Lord. And now you're able to look back, and as we saw in First Peter that he said, because he said the need is there for us to be grieved by various trials for a certain amount of time. For It's temporary, but it's, it's necessary. And the purpose is that our faith would be refined like gold. And so you're able to look back now and say, you know what? I believe him more now than I believed him before this last trial. And that's the purpose of them, that God would give us greater faith, that he'd draw us near to him, and that when we face the next one, and by the way, we will face the next one. Did you know that? Some of y'all are like, come on, man, I just came out of one. Don't tell me that. Oh, yes, broken people in a broken world, we're going to face some more trials and tribulations, especially those of us who desire to live a godly life. We're going to face tribulation and trial. God said we was a promise. But we can also anchor to the promise that he makes every area of life good. All right? Moving on, if I can, to number four. All right? So we said one, he sustains. Two, he upholds. Three, y'all help me, he makes of life. All right. Four, he counsels. Now, you want to talk about any one of these areas that we turn away from him, we are guaranteed unfulfillment. We're guaranteed 
misery. We're guaranteed emptiness. Uh, we're guaranteed the pain and the power of want. When we don't look to God to, number one, sustain. When we don't look to God to, number two, uphold. When we don't look to God and trust his word that everything he does makes all of life good. The moment we drift from these truths that come straight from his word, we find ourselves in the midst of the pain of want and the power of want. It'll drive us to the wrong things. Number four, he counsels, found in verse number seven. He said this, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Let me ask you a question. Does God counsel you? When you look for answers, who do you look for? Now, I'm afraid um, that a lot of times we look for it in other people first. Anybody still in the room? Now, I'm not, some of y'all looking like, oh, he's supposed to tell my story. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But there is something that I want to explain to you as the under-shepherd of God to the flock of God here at Hickory Ridge, and that is this. You ready? I am not Jesus. I'm just a simple man. I can only be at one place at one time. I can't answer all the questions that are under the sun. I can't meet all the needs that uh, many of us have. Look at the group in here just tonight on a Wednesday night, 400 people just in this room. And there's no way for me to be able to meet. Y'all are looking sad. Don't look sad. God didn't intend for me to do that. I'm not sad about it. I don't want you to be sad about it, right? So some of you are thinking, now, well, now I can't call it. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your first call ought to be, Fasting and prayer. So I'm thinking about now, from now on, when I get calls and messages, oh, y'all looking, some of y'all looking like, what is he about to do? I'm thinking about responding first by saying, Have you fasted and prayed? And if I'm really am now, because it's a biblical pattern. And so what I'm, I'm thinking about doing is when you reach out and say, Hey, what do I do about this? Or what should I do about that? I'm going to say, Well, let me ask you this first before I answer. Have you fasted and prayed in your personal relationship with God? Have you done that? No, I hadn't. Okay, well, you do that and then holler back at me. And in the meantime, I'll be praying as well. And you let me know what God says to you, how he counsels you. Have you, here's another thing I, I want to just begin to say to people. Have you searched the word of God for the answer? You, you see, sometimes I get messages that say, hey, what does the Bible say about this? And what does the Bible say about that? And what I want to encourage you to do is not to be a spoon-fed people, Oh, boy, it's gotten quiet in here, hasn't it? I don't feel awkward. I hope you won't feel awkward. We're growing in this together, right? And it'll free you up. And here's the thing. If I die and I'm not around or you can't get me on the phone call because there's 2,000 other people trying to get me, you'll be all right. Because it was never meant to be me anyway. It was always meant to be him. And you'll never have to worry about his phone line being busy. You'll never have to worry about getting mad at him because he didn't come see you in the hospital. Come on, somebody. You'll I wish y'all come on with me now. And you'll never have to worry about not getting on the calendar because there's only so many hours of the day and I have a family too. And you'll never have to struggle with that if you will let God be your counselor. Now, does that mean that you should never call on your pastor? Heavens, no. But it means you need to call on him first. Fasting and prayer, searching the word of God for your answer, and then call me. And then let's sit down. And what I'll be able to do is discuss to you what God's been saying to you and what you found in the Scripture and may help you if you need to make some application. We don't have to look down at the carpet, y'all. That's a great plan. I wish you'd write that somewhere. Step one, fasting and prayer. Step two, searching the Scriptures. And by the way, one and two, are they're, they're, really, they're really all one step. <laughs> and then the next place you'll be is call Terry, Right? <laughs> But know this, that God has put other people in your life that are your small group leaders. And if you're a small group leader in here, let me tell you what you are. You're not a small group leader. You're not a facilitator. You're a Bible teacher. 
You're not a Sunday school teacher, whatever that is. You're a Bible teacher. And so because of that, you need to go to them and ask them, hey, what, what about this? And they may not know the answer, just like I sometimes don't know the answer, but we'll search through it. Hey, this is meant to be a team approach. Amen? Preacher went on a rant about the counsel of God. No, I want to help you because I'm not enough. But he is. He's always enough. And I'll help, it'll help me and you both not to get upset with one another, right, to know that God counsels. He does. Let me just say, what are the counseling agents of God? Are you ready? The counseling agents of God, they're in your notes. So you can probably figure these blanks out yourself, right? Uh, number one is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the number one counselor. The Scripture says the wonderful counselor. And so if you have him, you've got to really lean in. And sometimes you have to fast from food and, and you're praying. Instead of eating those meals, you're praying and seeking God and saying, God, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear your word. And you're searching the Scripture. Number two, uh, the second agent of God responsible for counseling his people is what? The Word. What does the Word say about what you're facing? Someone said to me one time, well, I don't think this is in there. It's in there. You remember the old Ragu commercial? Some of y'all remember the 80s? Huh? What did that Ragu commercial say? It's, it's in there. You just had to search. It's in there. It's in there. And so you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word, and then you have next the, notice I didn't say the pastor, I said the church. And so you need to be a part of a small group so that you're forming some relationships with other guys like you and other gals like you. And you're studying the Word together in a small group, and you're learning that. And you're leaning, and you're growing, and you're encouraging each other. And, you, man, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful journey that we're on. Now, listen, please. Some of you are going to be like, I can't call a preacher anymore. because No, that's not the point. The point is that there is a, there is a pattern to this thing, though. And, uh, and I do fit in somewhere, just not number one. Okay, so here we go. He counsels. Number two, y'all ready to move on? Somebody said, please move on. You appear to be ranting tonight. All right, number one, hope in God. I hope you see that I'm not angry. I'm just informing you. If I should die tonight, I want you to be an informed people. And you're, you'll be a lot healthier if you'll lean on the Lord instead of leaning on me. And it'll, things will just be so much better. So hope in God leads to contentment. Why? All right, let's talk about it real quickly. Four reasons. Number one, he sustains. Number two, come on, help me somebody. He Upholds. Number three, he makes of life good. And four, he, I'm so thankful God counsels. I'm so thankful. If you look back in the Old Testament, you'll find that every time a king messed up, and they messed up a bunch, is because they didn't seek the counsel of God. They just said, well, we got an enemy, let's go attack them. Or they say, this is the next logical move, let's just do it. And so be careful not to move for the sake of moving. <clears throat> seek the counsel of God. And by the way, there are other counselors that want to counsel you in your life that have bad counsel. You with me? Anybody out there? Y'all went, like went, went black on me all of a sudden. I couldn't see you, hear you. You got people in your life who want to counsel you, that co-work with you. They work beside you. They go to class with you. Never read their Bible. Have no idea what God says about marriage. Have no idea what God says about finances. Have no idea what God says about what the Christian man does as a brother or a Christian woman does as a sister. Have no idea about that. But they want to tell you what you ought to do. And the problem is sometimes you and I are foolish enough to listen. And every time we do, we pay consequences. I wish I could tell you how many times I've seen this pattern play out. Now, August will be 18 years that God has given me the blessed privilege of pastoring here. But there's some patterns that I've seen over these years. Here's one. 
I see a couple, man, they're doing well. They're, they're walking with God. They're, they're married, you know. And all of a sudden, he gets a job. And, man, there's some dudes there that, are, that they want him to go hunting with them. And he goes hunting with them. And the next thing, they want him to go out on Thursday nights with them. And he's going out on Thursday nights with them. And all of a sudden, they're in here faithful every time the door's open. I mean, they're faithful in the Word. And, they're fa- and all of a sudden, he's not here, but she's here. And I'll say, hey, where's old so-and-so? And she'll say, well, he, you know, he's, he's uh, and, then, and she's making excuses for him. And then it kind of goes on. And then finally, uh, you don't see her or she calls, and she's coming into the office. And we're talking about what's going on. And what's happened is uh, he's hanging out with one of his buddies that's recently divorced who's counseling him that he ought not be putting up with the stuff he's putting up with in his marriage. And so they're both hanging out, drinking, and, and cutting up and being miserable together. And so whatever you do, don't take counsel from the ungodly. Be careful who you let speak into your life. And I don't know if that's for somebody in this room or if it's for somebody who's listening out there or when this podcast comes out, it may be six years from now, and you're listening to this. I pray unto God you'd hear what I'm saying to you. Ungodly counsel will give you ungodly results, and the consequences are great. So snap out of it. Somebody in here, somebody out there, snap out of it and reevaluate who you're listening to. And where they're leading you. All right, I got to move on. I have to move on. Number two, number two, see, I told you there's just two and we're out of time already. I'm only halfway. Number two, hope in God leads to, I'm going to tell you five things. Number one, hope in God leads to contentment. And we talked about the four, the four things that prove, prove contentment. But next, I want to say hope in God leads to, I'm going to say five things quickly that God, hope in the Lord leads us to. Number one is found in verse eight, and that is strength. Hope in God leads to, number one, what is it? Strength. Do you see it in verse 8? Anybody reading it? I have set the Lord always. But before, boy, I've lost some of y'all. Some of y'all think about that roast deal. I have set the Lord always before me. Now, not behind me and not my co-pilot. Is anybody tracking what I'm trying to say tonight? I set the Lord where? When I follow somebody, what do they have to be? There you go. In front of me, I set the Lord before me. I, I, I put him in a position. I put him in a position in my mind and my heart that nobody else has. He's number one, numero uno. He's out front, and I'm following him. So I can't listen to the counsel of the guy I'm working with. It ain't got no sense. It's not living for the Lord. It's suffering the misery of following his own instruction. I'm letting God counsel me. I set the Lord before me, right? Now, verse number eight. I set the Lord before me. Now, where did I get this idea of strength? Now, some of you guys already know, so don't spoil it. But where do I get this idea? Why, where in the world would I tell you, verse 8 says, that God, hoping in him, gives me strength? Anybody know? The position of which hand? In the Scripture, right hand represents strength, authority, power. Anytime you see something at my right hand, at the Lord's right hand, at the right hand, it's the place of prominence. It's the place of power. It's the place of strength and authority. Are y'all, we got that settled now? So anytime you're reading through that in the Scripture, you can store that in your mind, write it in your notes there, and you know that's the place of strength and authority. So what's he saying? I set God in the position of number one in my life, and because of that, listen to what he says. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. He is the authority in my life. He is the source of strength in my life. I don't find strength from Dr. Phil. I don't I don't find strength from something in a bottle. I find my strength from God himself. And because I find my strength there, I'll never, the well will never run dry. When I think I can't put one foot in front of the other, when I think I can't be gracious one more time, when I think I can't forgive one more time, when I think I can't uh, look at one more fault in me one more time, I'm going to look to the Lord who's at my right hand, the position of authority and strength in my life. And because of that, listen to what he says, 
I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. Because I've set him in front of me as the leader. The position of right hand, the place of authority. Now you say, I'm getting confused. Is he in front of me or the right hand? It's imagery. So I set him before me in my path of following, but in the place of authority, I put him at my, he's at my right hand, which means the place of authority and, and power in my life. And he's the one who directs my steps. He counsels me, directs me. And what happens is because when he is the source of my strength, I shall not be moved. Now I want you to picture for a minute somebody standing in a position. Where is that position? It's a position of, you fill it in, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all the fruits of the Spirit. It's a place of, tonight for the sake of this, of this passage, the place of contentment. I'm at peace. I don't have to have anything else. I don't have to have a new boat. I don't have to have a four-wheeler. I don't have to have, I'm, 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 I don't have to have a man. If I'm a woman, I don't have to have a woman. If I'm a man, I can be single. I can have children, not have children. I can have, right, I can have the greatest job or just a job, you know, just a job that I don't really see is that great. And I'm in this position of what? Come on, all together. What's the place? Contentment. And everything is pushing against me to move me. Now, where does, where does the enemy want to move me? To anxiety. To anger, uh, to, to want. Oh, I want, I'm, not, I'm not content. I want something. I want something. But he says, when I'm standing in the place of contentment and God is before me, he's one I'm following, and he is the source of strength and power in my life, all these things can push against me all they want. I'm staying rock solid, not because of me, but because of him. So I wanted you to see that, all right? So uh, hope uh, in God leads to strength. Number two, gladness. Somebody needs to get this tonight. Get a little joy Jesus in your life because you sour sometimes. All right, I didn't call any names. I'm just saying, all right, it can happen. It can, it can happen. Y'all ain't going to smile, are you? Verse number nine, therefore, therefore what? Because God counsels, because he sustains, because of everything we just said. Because of everything we just said. Therefore, my heart is, listen to me, why is your heart not glad? I need to know. I need you to give me a solid reason that I could stand before the people on your behalf and say, well, this is why, this is why Shane's not happy. This is why Richie's not happy. This is why Quincy's not happy. This is why Jonathan's not happy. I wish that you could tell me a reason that I could stand before the people and say, it's okay that they don't, they're not glad because, and I could fill in the blank. And I'll tell you this, it will not hold up against what we just looked at. You agree with that statement? He's all of that. He's all of that. He's done all of that, and he's, he is all of that, and he's consistently all that. Heavens, whatever happens today, I don't have a reason to lose my gladness. Now, I may cry. I may get a little anxious. I may have these little moments, but I'm, I'm steady because my hope is in him. Those that hope in the Lord, see, that's the key to the whole passage. Those who hope in the Lord, my, I put my hope in him, and because of that, he sustains me. And so gladness, some of us need to draw near and smile with your face. And smile with your attitude. Anybody out there? I wish you'd get full of the joy of Jesus so you stop complaining. I didn't call any names. I may just be saying that generally. Um, but, it, but if the shoe fits, then I have to wear it, and you have to as well. How in the world could I ever stay angry when he is all of that? How in the world could I ever stay downtrodden when he's all of that? How in the world could I ever be confused when he's all of that? And it's because I'm hoping in the, listen, every time it's because I've shifted my hope into something temporary. And so, wow, what a quick fix. Somebody tonight just needs to put your hope where? In the Lord. In the Lord. All right, I'm trying to finish. Gladness. Draw near. Smile with your face. Did I put that in your notes? I'm glad. Put that on your refrigerator with a magnet and circle that thing, all right? 
and, and, and pray about that, okay? Gladness, number three. Number three, uh, hope in the Lord leads to strength, it leads to gladness, it leads to rest. <clears throat> now, I'm not talking about just sleep, okay? Do, do you know that you, you can be tired or you can be weary? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can, you can be tired because of lack of sleep or, or you're working a lot and you, you just get tired. But have you ever, you know the difference between tired and weary? Weary, you can be rest. You sleeping nine hours a night, you know. I guess some people sleep nine hours. You sleep nine hours a night, and you can be still be just as weary in your soul. You know, it's not, it's not a physical thing. It's more of a spiritual thing. And you're weary. And, 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 and listen to what he says here. Oh, I love this. Uh, I'm reading tonight from verse number 9, uh, B, the second part of verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will I'm going to rest in hope. I'm going to rest. I'm, I'm, but here, God's got it taken care of. You know, isn't it interesting that me and you, that we forget that? If the plan doesn't go according to the plan? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, that's when I get jacked up. I got something planned out, and something happens, and it's against the plan. You know, is anybody in here? Y'all, I feel like I'm by myself now. Y'all didn't checked out on me. And, and so sometimes, man, I got this plan, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, I prayed about this thing, and we prepared, and this is, here's the plan. And Tina's helped me plan because I don't plan well, and Jerry's helped me plan, and, and Gerald and everybody, they all helped me plan because I don't plan well. But when we plan, and we get this plan together, right, and then all of a sudden, we got this thing nailed down, and then something happens. And I have a tendency right there to, uh, I don't know what the right word is. You usually can't see it out here. If you know me really well, you can tell. But inside here, oh, there'll be a mess going on. Can anybody else in here relate? Is there any of my people in here like that? Raise your hand if you like that. Oh, man, thank God. I'm not alone. And in those times, it is because I'm doubting the plans of God. You see, if I have a flat tire, do I, do I really believe God's big enough to keep me from having a flat tire? Not if I'm on the side of the road pouting about it. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? I'm supposed to be somewhere for this very important thing. Something happens. Keeps me from being there. Do I believe God's big enough to have got me there on time? Sure he is. But because of some unforeseen something, I couldn't get there. The only reason I get upset is I'm doubting. I'm second-guessing the plans of God. I believe that God can heal me. I get diagnosed with an illness, and, and I began to doubt God, and and it has to, it can only be when I'm doubting the fact that he's, every, all things happen for my good. And the list goes on, doesn't it? I mean, the list is so long, and it's always when I'm doubting that I get moved away, right? So, Lord, help me to rest my hope. It's sort of like taking your, <clears throat> taking your, your coat, you know, and hanging it on a hook, and the hook is, is him, and my, the, hope, the, the coat represents your hope, and you hang that thing, and the problem is if you don't hang that thing into something that's anchored, it'll, it'll fall off on the floor, and that's where my hope sometimes is when I'm second-guessing the plans of God. And so I pray tomorrow, no matter what comes your way, you'll remember that. When things happen, you'll go, wait a minute, I'm not going to get frustrated right here. I'm not going to second-guess the plans of God. So my hope, I can rest. I can draw near and find rest for my weary soul. Number four, and we just have one more after this. Number four, hope in God leads to rescue from sin's power and God's judgment. Rescue from sin's power and God's judgment. See, somebody here tonight was saying, you know, uh, pastor preached a message, and he talked to us about hoping in the Lord and all the benefits of hoping in the Lord, but he really didn't say anything about salvation. Oh, hang on, hang on here. We're going to hit it right here, all right? You ready? Verse number 10, rescue from sin's power and God's what? Judgment. Sin's power. And God's judgment, all right? Now, remember, I asked you Sunday, who is it that Jesus saved us from? Do you remember what the answer is? 
Now, don't, don't mumble it like you're sad. All right, one more time. Who did Jesus save us from? God. Saved us from God. It was God's wrath that was going to punish us. It was God's wrath that was going to keep us in a lake of fire. It was the wrath of God on sin that was going to separate us from ever and ever and ever and ever. And if we chose that wrath over the grace and forgiveness found in Jesus, we would, in fact, face his wrath forever. So Jesus came to save us from God. Isn't that good? He didn't save us from the devil. The devil is going to face the same punishment. He saved us from his own self. Now, think about that when you lay on your bed tonight. How loving God must be that we offended him, broke his laws, and he sacrificed his son to appease his own wrath so that I could be forgiven and be called his child. Just meditate on that when you lay down. Instead of worried about your business and bills and all that nonsense, because you're not going to worry it away when you lay your head down tonight, just meditate on that. God was offended. God paid the price. He did it with his own son so that I wouldn't have to face his wrath. Oh, that ought to just minister to you in every which way, right? Rescue from sin's power. Verse number 10, what happens? For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. I want to focus on verse 10. Uh, I want you to think for a minute about that road to Emmaus. Do you all remember what I'm talking about? In the New Testament, after the resurrection of Jesus, there are two disciples walking with Christ, and they're talking to him about what's happened. And Jesus has chosen to hide himself from them. And they're talking, and they're walking. They're like, man, are you the only guy that hadn't heard about what's happened, how they crucified you? You know, and they're talking, and, and, and Jesus is like, oh, yeah, you know what? No, tell me what's happened, you know. <laughs> and they're having this conversation. And then he, they ask him to stay, and he sits down with them, and they begin to have a meal together. And do you remember he does something that causes their eyes to be opened? Does anybody remember what he does? He breaks the bread. When he breaks the bread, their eyes are open. And they realize, oh, it's Jesus, and he disappears from their sight. But before that, it says that he took the Scriptures and he talked through everything that referred to him. This was one of the verses. Verse 10. What do you mean? So he's talking with them and he says, that, here's what God said about me. The Father said about me. You will not leave my soul because on the third day, here I am. I rose again. And so he's using the Old Testament Scriptures to talk about him. By the way, boy, wouldn't you love to have heard that conversation? For you will not leave my soul in short, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption because he rose from the dead. You see, y'all tracking with me? And so there's this rescue that comes because Jesus rose from the dead. And the rescue is available for whosoever will call on the name. Listen to the name. Jesus. Anybody who will call, no matter what you've done or where you've been, how much you know or you don't know, how much you have or don't have, if you'll call on the name of Jesus, the Scripture promises you will not be put to shame. Because he was put to shame, so you and I would not have to be. He died a horrible death. He was buried in a borrowed tomb because he only needed it for just a little while. And he rose from the dead. And if you'll believe that tonight, he'll rescue you the same way he rescued me, from the power of sin and his own judgment. He'll rescue I don't understand that. Why would God reach down and rescue me from the judgment that is his and that I deserve? And I can only say that he is a gracious, good, and loving father. And he offers it to you tonight, just like he's offered it to me. So, rescue. Finally, number five. Hope in God leads to, number five, direction for life. Direction for life. We've got to hit this one quick, all right, because I know the kids are probably back there restless. Huh? Y'all thank a children's worker when you go back there. All right? If you will, verse number 11. <clears throat> Hope in God leads to, y'all have me, direction for... All right, stay strong with me now. It's fourth quarter. We've got to finish this thing. We can't just limp across the finish line, all right? No way. No way we're going to do that. Verse number 11, you will show me. All right, this neighborhood over here was strong. I think y'all dozed on me, and I'm, I don't know if I heard some mumbling over here or not. We're going to try that again. 
Now, let me say, we're not going to limp to the finish line. Amen? All right, we're going to finish this thing strong. All right, here we go. Let me read it again. You will show me the... Hallelujah, there you are. I knew you were out there still. The path of life. This is what he's saying. You're still, even though you've done all of what he said so far, David said, all the stuff that you've done already, you still are going to show me. It's a present perfect tense form of the verb. It means that today you're going to show me the way of life, and tomorrow you're going to show me the way of life, and tonight, and when I wake up in the morning, if I'll come to you, if I'll come to you as the source of strength, if I'll hope in you, you'll show me that you'll light up the path and say, now here's how you walk it. Here's how you talk it. Here's how you love. Here's how you give. Here's how you forgive. Here's how you spend your time. Here's how you be a man of God. Here's how you be the woman of God. Here's how you be a single person who loves me. Here's how you be a married person. Here's how you raise children. Here's how you do it. He'll show it. Every bit of it's right here. Every single bit of it is right in here. And he will, in fact, if you'll let him be your hope, not Dr. Field, not Oprah Winfrey, if you'll let him be your hope, he will direct you in the path of life. And if I'm not following, if I'm not directing, if I'm not opening the Word of God, I have no one to blame but myself. And I would turn the mirror and obviously say the same to you. If things have gotten astray, if there's an area of your life that's gotten a little off and there's some consequences, things are crumbling, there's good news for you. The God who created you and who sent his son to die for you still desires restoration in every area of your life. But he'll only offer you the hope. He won't force you to take it. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me for just a moment? Father, I thank you tonight for this blessed hope I have in Jesus. I pray with every person in the sound of my voice that if they don't have the hope that they need to have in Jesus, that tonight they'd place their hope in him for the first time or again. Lord, if there's a follower of yours who's drifted in here tonight, I pray in Jesus' name you draw them home right now. God, I pray for the one who today has, has known the hope of yesterday and yet for whatever reason has gone astray. God, I pray tonight they would repent and return. And, Lord, you would instruct and sustain and uphold and, and make life good and counsel and give them strength and gladness and rest and rescue and direction for life. And I know that you will because you're a good, good father. So take this time of response. And, God, would you move according to your perfect plan? Let me say that the altar's open. I pray that some of you might would just come and pray for lost people. You'd pray for salvation. You'd pray for people to be restored. You'd pray that we would find our hope in Jesus, that we would be a people so on fire that we would burn white hot and run out of these doors and tell people at our homes and our workplaces that there is hope that sustains and hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And you might even take this little outline and in just a few minutes you'd walk them through what he offers them if they'll put their hope in him. So, Lord Jesus, I pray you move now. In the precious name of Christ, I pray, amen and amen.